Hello, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, great things can happen. Hi, I'm Mira Davis, media maven, talent booker, dog lover, food lover, and thrilled to have a platform to talk about Georgia politics. And I am Terry Anulowitz from the Georgia House of Representatives in beautiful Cobb County, where you can see the downtown skyline. And I love food, love cooking, love dogs, love my two kids, and I love being in Georgia politics. Well, and we're here together as we uh, watch Senator Jen Jordan from afar as she runs for attorney general and is taking a hiatus. And I'm so happy to have, how do you like to be called like house representative, representative, representative Terry? Terry. <laughs> I just—I always had fun calling. I, I have fun calling Jen Senator. Oh yeah, send Jen. Yeah, I mean, she, yeah. When like when she calls me, I pick up the phone and I always say Senator. So when you call, should I say House Representative? Honorable. The Honorable. The Honorable. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Today, we're going to talk about a couple things. Um, obviously, there's been some um, FBI investigations, some Georgia chamber uh, buzz, uh, the governor's race, the Senate race, uh, controversy with um, the way people are campaigning. And we have a special guest, uh, a great journalist who was formerly my intern and now stalks uh, uh, <laughs> the Grand Dame Terry uh, around the around the Gold Dome. Yes, when he's not stalking the perimeter of public parks. Then he's- <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to Raul Bali. Well, you'll get context on that. He doesn't just stalk public parks <laughs> randomly. He's a wonderful family man. So let's talk about uh, first the Georgia Chamber of Commerce who who gave an endorsement to the Lieutenant Governor candidate Bert Jones. This really got a lot of buzz because he is one of the fake electors. He's in the Fulton County court case with Fonnie Willis. And tell me a little bit more about the Georgia Chamber and what that means. So the Georgia Chamber is a behemoth juggernaut of an organization that has a very profound influence in politics and policy in Georgia. If you are elected in Georgia, whether you are in a House or Senate seat or especially statewide, you know who the Georgia Chamber is. And we have to remember, Georgia has a pretty outsized role in the economy of our country. I mean, we have a lot of Fortune 100 companies here. We have Delta, we have Home Depot, we have UPS, we've got Genuine Parts, we've got Mercedes-Benz North American headquarters, we've got you know, huge companies with big names like Microsoft, you know, they all are having their offices here, big pharmaceutical companies, we've got Rivian. It's a, it's a, Georgia's a big deal as far as big business goes, and the Georgia Chamber is the big deal in, as far as being the voice of Georgia business as a whole to the Georgia General Assembly. So, I mean, yeah, obviously, like Delta has their own lobbyist. Home Depot has their own lobbyist. But business in Georgia is, is, goes way beyond just the big companies whose logos you could recognize even if they didn't have words written in them. And so you've got, you know, the different railroads in, the, in, in Georgia who are a major influence. Actually, the head of the chamber right now, the chair, is, is with one of these railroads in South Georgia. Um, there is a lot of Georgia's economy that happens outside of Atlanta, and the Georgia Chamber is definitely a powerful voice for all of those different businesses and industries throughout Georgia. And to give a little context as to the kind of influence the Georgia Chamber has when it comes to policy, we've talked about RIFRA before on the show, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. 
a lot of very conservative, very far-right Republicans were very supportive of RIFRA uh, several years ago. This was in 2016, I believe. And it passed the House. It passed the Senate. The chamber was like, this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. We don't want this. We don't want this. It's going to be bad for business. And as a result, in, in large part of, of the pressure of organizations like the Georgia Chamber and the business community, Governor Deal vetoed RIFRA. And it, it's so they have a, a trem- they are the voice of business. And when, if the Georgia Chamber says, this is going to be bad for business, elected officials in Georgia tend to, to perk their ears up and listen closely. So how is that? Uh, that the, so now what's good for Georgia business is a guy that wanted to overthrow democracy and be a fake elector and who, someone who is under investigation may have gotten a free pass from not testifying, but he's eventually going to have to testify with somebody else at, at a later date. Right, and as we learned from Tamar, anything the grand jury gleans from talking to other witnesses about Burt Jones can still be used. So obviously I saw on Twitter that people were seemed to be pretty puffed up about this. And what was interesting is they turned off their comments about it because people were rightfully saying, right. you're putting a seal of approval on someone who uh, potentially broke the law. Yeah, it, it gave a lot of folks considerable pause. And I will say like full disclosure, I have had pretty good relationship with the chamber over the years. I have worked with them on transportation issues. I've worked with them on entertainment issues. There are a lot of good folks who work for the chamber. This endorsement, and for that reason, right, because so many of us on both sides of the aisle and so many of us on the left side of the aisle do work with the chamber, it gave a lot of folks considerable pause. We're like, this is, this is weird because you don't have to endorse anybody. I mean, they can... They can endorse someone for governor. They can endorse someone for senator. They don't have to endorse someone so for lieutenant governor. So why do you think they, they did that? To. Why, why? That's, that's what, where I think folks have a lot, of, a lot of questions that are coming into play. You know, is, you know, Bert is the scion of a very powerful and influential family. His father owns a very successful petroleum company, uh, Jones Petroleum. There is a Jones Petroleum station in my district right across from the Brave Stadium. Um, But I don't know, you know, no one, there's a lot of speculation as to different reasons why. No one really knows the reason why, but it it does give pause because my inclination is always when in doubt, do without. Um, And it's interesting too, you know, we saw the Georgia Chamber endorsement of Burt Jones, who is a fake elector. And again, it doesn't matter if if Fonnie Willis can't directly be the one to pursue him. He's still a fake elector. You know, he's, it doesn't matter if the Georgia Chamber endorsed him. He's still a fake elector. Um, there was a woman a couple of weeks ago, Vicky Consiglio, who is also a fake elector. Governor Kemp reappointed her to a conservation board. Like, like they're validating these people. And what's so wild about the Kemp reappointment is he's validating someone who was going directly against him. It's really it's wild. It's, it's bizarre. Okay, so since you brought up Governor Kemp, let's talk about the latest in the governor's race. Uh, it is heating up. There's a lot to to open up with that. First, uh, Stacey Abrams came out and said that she wants to endorse gambling and sports betting and let's make this a thing. What are your thoughts? I think it's fantastic. And and she's not just saying yay gambling, she's saying yay revenues from gambling. So I've been a big supporter of legalizing sports betting, especially in Georgia, for the past several legislative sessions. Now, I do have... Currently, I represent three professional sports teams. 
The Atlanta Braves are in my district. The Atlanta United Training Facility is in my current district and professional rugby. That's kind of rugby ATL. Terry. I know. I've got like the sportiest district in (laughs) Georgia because I'm so, if you guys know me, I'm so super sporty. Very sporty. (laughs) Very sporty. On my Peloton, being sporty. So I have the, uh, these teams and I've always paid close attention to the issues that are important to these because they're big constituents in my district, especially the ones who have a giant stadium right there that you see when you get off of the interstate at, at 75 and 41. So I've been paying close attention to this issue and I am not a gambler. I'm not a sports better. I don't have any of those apps on my phones, but I know enough about gambling to know that you don't leave money on the table. And what we have been doing in Georgia by not legalizing the sports betting is we are leaving money on the table, lots of money, millions and millions and millions of dollars every time there is a professional game. And people aren't just betting on, will the Braves win the game? They're betting on like the most tiny, minute things like, will, you know, the pitch be hit in two balls or three strikes or right, you know, right. whatever. You know, this, that's how sporty I am. Two balls and three strikes, right? So. <laughs> but, the, but the question is, so if they're going to, so if they're going to do that, Terry, and if mm-hmm. they're going to do, this could potentially bring in casinos. Right. Which would be a constitutional amendment, which okay. we'll get to that. So in we're going to talk about constitutional amendments in a, in a bit, but like, why are people so uncomfortable with this? Is this because it brings in a level of corruption to the state because gambling maybe has a, a CD underbelly? So I think there are some misunderstandings about this. This is the kind of thing where this is happening. Like Tennessee, for example, like when the Super Bowl was happening, Tennessee that weekend had all of this revenue from sports betting that Georgia missed out on. Okay. So these are apps. Like these are apps that, like when you see commercials on TV during sports games for yeah, yeah, FanDuel. Yeah, yeah. For, you know, for that's one, that's FanDuel's one of the big ones that comes to mind. These are these types of betting apps. It's not legal to, to use those apps in Georgia. You can't win money with them. Okay. Um, and so many, this is part of, fandom for so many people. Like so many people, chances are, no matter what you're watching, if you're sitting on your sofa watching something, you have two screens that you're looking at, right? You, your eyes are going between your television screen sure, and your phone sure, screen. Sure, of course. Of and course. that's why these sports betting apps, that's how they work, right? Because they're banking on the fact that people are watching this game, but they're also looking at their phone screen. Mm-hmm. And so... They are, and they're also, you know, like any other app, collecting a lot of data that teams love to have because this gives them information about their fans that you really can't get any other way. So every time you make one of these little bets and you win, you lose the, you know, you, you, there's a little tax that the state gets. Do you think, so she's pushing for that. Why, so why has the Kemp administration been, or, and previous people, why have they been against this? The, The Kemp administration, I think, has been more agnostic on it. Um, they don't seem, I have not gotten the impression during past legislative sessions that they have had a strong opinion. They've wanted to let it get sussed out in the legislature. Um, it is a mix, it's been a mixed bag of folks. It's been a bipartisan group of folks who have been for it and a bipartisan group of folks okay. who have been against it. Okay. And it's for various reasons. It is for reasons having to do with your religion not believing in gambling. Um, kind of like we had the same conversations with Sunday sales. It, so you have those. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. I yeah. see. I didn't even yeah. go there. No, I'm a Catholic from New Orleans. Like those things aren't on my radar, but that's a real thing. So you're, you, so <laughs> the Sunday sales always kind of blew my mind because oh, yeah. uh, you could, you couldn't go buy uh, a beer, six pack of beer, but you could go to a bar and drink a six pack Correct. of beer. And so, drive home. Right. So you can gamble, but it, you can't gamble in this state. 
Right. You could go to Tennessee and do your FanDuel bets, I guess. But what's interesting is the technology behind these apps is so, and I learned a lot about this, again, because I have a giant stadium in my district. Sure. The technology, you can geofence these. So like if the if we wanted to in Georgia, the law could be like, if you are inside of Truist Park, if you right. are inside of Mercedes-Benz Stadium, okay. then you can use the app. Like you can, because again, your phone knows where you are all the time. So the teams want this. Oh, that is why we had the Sports Betting Alliance, which is the Braves, the Hawks, the Falcons, and the United, which teamed up several legislative sessions ago because they are very supportive of this. So she is, Abrams is putting this out there to curry favor with, you think, these sports organizations. And I wonder about that because it seems like the Atlanta Braves, they're very aligned with Governor Kemp. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. But they, you know, they... They have a, a, they're diversifying a little bit. I think that's a fair, it's a fair, that's a fair statement to say also on who and the candidates they support. But I honestly don't think that the teams are Stacey Abrams' target audience. I mean, I can't speak for her, you know, but, but I think that the bigger thing in play is this focus on education. And that's why I've also, that's why I've been supportive of it. When I say we're leaving money on the table, we are leaving money on the table that a lot of folks, including a lot of Democrats, negotiated with the Republicans who, who wanted this also to help fund education. And by education, I mean more money for pre-K and more money for secondary. And she's saying technical school too. Yes. That's a big yes, thing. Yes, it's there. a huge thing. And technical school is such an important thing. And, and people, if you want to be able to go to technical school, the goal is to have, you, to have you be able to go to technical school for free. And that's a really important thing that businesses, incidentally, oh, would really love. Well, absolutely. And I think technical school in this moment that we're having, Terry, it's like, yes, you can do the four-year college and that's great. But if you can learn how to be a cosmetologist, if you can learn how to be a radiologist, if you can learn how to be a vet tech, these are things that you can make a really amazing living. The film industry has yeah. been working very closely with TCSG, the Technical College System mm-hmm. of Georgia, mm-hmm. to develop curriculums. I know in my neck of the woods, you know, I've got Lockheed is in my district and right. they have worked for years with Chattahoochee Tech. You love to, your district. I love the Best district. <laughs> I love where this, this will be the vote her and also how awesome is HD42 podcast. I, I mean, really, really good. Okay, so now, okay, so we have we have Stacey Abrams coming out, coming in hot mm-hmm. and we hope she gets well. We know that she had COVID and so, oh my so that was like a yes. thing. It's kind of funny how like a couple of years ago, I mean, we're in like year three of COVID. It would be like someone had COVID. You'd be like, oh, and now it's like, okay. Like she's vaccinated. She's okay. boosted. Okay. So now you have Governor Kemp on the other side. Basically, I have such a beef with people who call it Bidenflation because it just doesn't roll off the tongue. Like, you know, it's not like Reaganomics. No, yeah. It's, 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 On the one hand, he's saying, oh my gosh, inflation is is so bad and it's not, it's bad, uh, but things seem to be getting better. The gas prices are going lower Mm -hmm. and things are, but but yet on the other side, he's saying how like everything's been so hunky-dory in Georgia with the business. So what does that even mean? How can you talk out of both sides of your mouth that way? Oh, it's a campaign. Right. (laughs) That's That's right. That's right. I should know better. It's a campaign, but (laughs) no, it is. And and we talked about this a little bit last week with Herschel's, you know, everything is on fire and the world is burning down and Kemp's like, George is awesome. And we opened it and everything is because we opened up faster. 
And I, I think it's a bit of a stretch to attribute Georgia's economic strength to the fact that we reopened bowling alleys and tattoo parlors before other states did. Well, and the other thing about that too is the more I he, the more he touts that, I wonder this is someone who claims to be the pro-life governor, and like a lot of people died still in Georgia right. from COVID, and opening sooner while it may helped have helped some businesses, but also people got sick and died. Um, you know, we're in a lot different place than we were then, as we just mentioned, but so it's, it seems to be, but he's in the driver's seat, right? Because he's the incumbent, he's, the incumbent. he's leading. So she's pretty much throwing everything out as much as possible, uh, everything against the wall, right. right? Well, and I think one of the things that she's doing is she is, she is emphasizing to the business community that she wants businesses to thrive in Georgia. Right. Right. She wants businesses to grow in Georgia. And that's one of the things too, when we talk about, you know, like if, if casino gambling were to happen and that would require a constitutional amendment, which mm-hmm. would require, you know, of the votes of the majority of people in Georgia, that's a jobs engine. I mean, regardless of how people feel about casinos, they employ a lot of people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so, you know, she's demonstrating that with the support for gambling, but she's also saying businesses like, you know, with, with the, the things she's talking about with tax cuts, with more money for education, like she she wants Georgia to continue to be the number one state for doing business. Like nobody wants that title to go away, right? Mm-hmm. But she also is saying that she's not only going to be the person who continues to help Georgia be the number one state to do business, but it's also going to be the number one state for people. Right. And I think that that's one of the things she's really trying to to demonstrate is like, like if someone who is on the fence, and that's who they're both talking to right now, right? right. As people on the fence. She's saying, you know, we're we're, we're both going to do everything we can to make sure our economy stays strong. But meanwhile, I'm going to give you reproductive rights. Meanwhile, I'm going to, you know, let your trans kids play play lacrosse. I'm going to do all these things. So with reproductive rights, that's a thing that as look, we've said this before, is that I think that reproductive rights definitely leads to business. It is a trickle-down effect. And she is really going hard on that. And as we saw in Kansas, they had an amendment to, let me make sure I get this straight, to not amend the Constitution. Um, So there was the rights to privacy. So they could leave the law as it was in Kansas and people voted to not change it, which people were, some people were complaining that it was written confusing because changing the law meant more restrictions on abortion. So you wanted, they wanted people to vote no. And overwhelmingly in Kansas, Kansas, a pretty red state. A very red state. They, although I've, I've read so much on Kansas too, like how Kansas is like one of those weird places where they have a democratic governor, they have like their politics are a little, they're a little mixed up, kind of the way Georgia is sometimes. But the fact that people, they, I love how they had this election in, in, um, August, this primary, thinking that they weren't going to have a good turnout. Right. And people just went bonkers. So, and they did it. So my question to you as a house representative- Of your amazing district that you love so much. I haven't even talked about all the good food in my district. (laughs) So uh, could we do that in Georgia? Yes. And if so, should we? Yes and maybe. So the answer to the question, yes. And here's how constitutional amendments work in Georgia and whether it is a constitutional amendment that would be for casino gambling or to enshrine reproductive rights in the constitution. Amendments can start in the House or the Senate. They have to get two-thirds of the vote, so a supermajority of the votes, in both chambers to be, or in order to be on the ballot. They're on the ballot in even-numbered years. So, like, if, like 
we had two years ago, is it two years ago, maybe four years ago, there was an amendment for, for to establish the, the business court system in Georgia that required a constitutional amendment. Um, and now, you know, again, we, we, for any proposed amendment, we've, we've, t- we haven't voted yet on a, on a gambling amendment. Maybe we will this, this coming legislative session. Um, if the appetite continues to be there, which I hope it, I hope it does. And I hope we have governor Abrams in place to, to help, to help push this legislation through. So yeah, two thirds of the house, two thirds of the Senate. And this is what makes constitutional amendments different from the other kinds of laws and bills that we pass through the house and Senate and that is that the governor cannot veto a constitutional amendment. Mm-hmm. So if hypothetically we still have Governor Kemp, mm-hmm. hypothetically we can get two-thirds of the House and Senate to support a constitutional amendment that would put abortion protections in the Constitution or strengthen the existing privacy protections in the Georgia Constitution. That's part of what the current lawsuit thing happening. Well, it feels yeah. like it feels like it's a little bit of a mixed bag. It is. It is. And so we theoretically, yes, we could do it. We'd have to get the supermajority of the House and Senate. I don't know how likely that's going to be. That depends on what happens in November. Regardless of who the governor is, they cannot veto it. So it would be going on the ballot. And you know, if we did it this this the upcoming legislative biennial, the two year session, it would be on the ballot in twenty twenty four. But then the question is, do we want to do that? Because you are taking a risk when you put something up for the people of Georgia to vote on because chances are if a constitutional amendment fails, you're not going to be able to bring it back. It would be a very tough thing to oh, do. Oh gosh, I know. And so it's, it's a still, big it's a big risk. It's, it's still an, yeah. It's still I really I really hope in the in the coming weeks we see more energy towards reproductive rights. The, some of the ads in Kansas were fantastic. They were. Well, and it again, it goes to empathy, which I think is something that is missing from so many political conversations, but it is really at the core of, I think, what we're talking about when we're talking about choice. And that is empathy, not just for a 10-year-old who is in a tragic, traumatic situation, not just for, you know, a 21-year-old who isn't ready to start a family but for the 35-year-old who's oh, yeah, pregnant who with her, has a family. Who already has a family and is pregnant with her third child and then the water breaks at 17 weeks. That's what, and I think, I really think that is so much of what one of the, one of the magical, wonderful things that happened in Kansas is women, even Republican women, even women who would otherwise consider themselves to be very pro-life understood and had that empathy. Like it's a very there, but for the grace of God, go I. Right, right. So I think people really, um, that really, um, let's hope it's a bellwether. Let's see what happens with that. Because, you know, now I, I want to get into this with our our guest is because I feel like a lot of um, right-leaning politicians have had to a little tweak their messaging yes. a little bit based on what happened in Kansas. And with that, uh, we will get down and dirty with the reporter who gets down and dirty. He's even willing to get kicked out. Um, uh, let's get to Raul Bally now. Well, our guest today is Raul Bali, and Raul works at WABE. He is a politics reporter, but he has worked pretty much everywhere covering uh, Georgia politics. Uh, he's been everywhere, but the most important place he was before he was at WABE, Atlanta's NPR station, was uh, working with me as one of my assistants at Z93 back in the day. And so when I see Raul oh. Bali making news for all his <laughs> great political reporting in Georgia, I'm thinking, I knew Raul back in the day. Raul, <laughs> welcome. 
He works for NPR. It's so good to be on with you. So much gravitas on this podcast now. I know. I mean, (laughs) CNN, WSB, WTOP. I mean, you worked in, uh, you know, all over, all over the Georgia area. So how long have you been at WABE? I only joined in October. Um, There was a lot going on in my life. My wife uh, retired from the military and, uh, you know, there was a thought for me to start looking around. I had a great job. I was, I was anchoring the news at Oconee Radio Group, which I loved. Um, but anybody who knows me knows politics is my first, second, and third love, then my wife, then my kids. Um, I'm just kidding, of course. And then this opportunity popped up for, for WABE looking for a politics reporter. And, and when you think about the city of Atlanta, we have five, I believe, full-time politics reporters um, on the radio. You know, it's me, Sam Gringlass at WABE. You've got Riley Bunch and and, and Stephen Fowler over at Georgia Public Broadcasting uh, and Sandra Parrish at WSB. Those are kind of your regular five. There are other reporters that pop. It's one of the few full-time political reporter jobs on, on, on radio. I couldn't really say no to it. It was an amazing opportunity. It's the first time I've ever worked in public radio, which is a challenge. And and just like, you know, in 2013, when I became a television reporter, you it's always cool to try something new, do something new. And I've enjoyed doing public radio. Well, let's talk about some of the big stories that you've been involved in recently. Of course, I want to go right there to... Um you decided to go to a Herschel Walker event, which was open to anyone. It was a 4th of July event, but it was like on July 9th. And uh, you went and they told you that you could not be there, uh, even though it was being live streamed on Facebook. Can you give, take us a little behind the scenes and what that was like for you? It was just weird, to be very honest with you, how it all went down. It was just one of those deals where... You know, I'm, I'm on the campaign trail on a Saturday. So on Friday afternoon, evening, I'm surfing the web, looking up different events. It's what I do. You know, I find out a lot of events just, you know, posted on Facebook. And this event was posted on Facebook and it says open to everybody. I think it was in the upper right corner. You know, if there's events like fundraisers, things that those are closed door events, I'm not, I'm not trying to break into those events, you know? But it says open to everyone. So I make the uh, drive up to Gainesville. Uh, it was at a public park. Walk on in. And and I, I um, you know, first of all, had my mic flag, but also introduced myself like, hey, I'm, I'm Raul from WABE. You're here for the event. Start working. I was talking to people, even, even done one interview. And then somebody with the county party came up to me and said, sorry, sir, you're going to have to leave. This is a private event, and and which caught me off guard. I made my case. I'm like, hey, look, this says it was an open event. Um, you know, it's a, it's you know, what's the issue? And and again, he asked me to leave. And I and you have to make a decision at that point. Could I have made the decision to fight, make a scene? Absolutely. Could I? You know, but are you going to put someone in a bad? Are you going to put an officer in a bad position? Or or something like that. So I had to think, I did call my boss and, and, and consult with my boss. And, and I think the smart thing was, okay, let's just walk away. Who asked me to leave in the end? Was it the Herschel Walker campaign? They told me it wasn't them. The party people said eventually that it was the war. So then you have finger pointing. In the end, I don't know who asked me to leave. And again, you pointed out the other weird thing. The event was all live streamed. 
And and they still asked me to leave. So it just it all of it just was weird. It caught me off guard. It became a bit of an issue. I have since covered uh, Herschel Walker. I've since covered uh, members of the Hall County GOP. So it's 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 all been weird. Um, you know, it's it's not. You know, those people like you know Representative Anulowitz knows. I, I'm not out. You know, to get attention or get thrown no. out or. Um, it's it's just not my style, you know. I was there to cover Herschel Walker, see what he was, you know, saying to voters. So um, a weird situation. Um, I have since, you know, moved on and and, and ca- covered him and and covered other events. In my take on it, as a civilian watching this thing happen, well, I guess I'm not really a civilian, and you know, I'm a pretty political person, but. It was really sloppy, I felt like, of his campaign, because this is a moment when his campaign is trying to present an aura of them being more accessible because Herschel Walker had been such a closed-off candidate and access was so limited for so long. And it just seemed, it's, it seemed so sloppy of them to invite this upon themselves, you know, like, like they could have just been like, Hey, the more the merrier. Thanks for coming. We, he's going to say some amazing things and we're glad you're here to capture them, but they didn't, they went in the totally opposite direction and just reinforced the fact that his campaign has been a very closed campaign. He's been a very can't a candidate who I wouldn't say he's guarded, but he has been guarded by his handlers. What does this look like when it comes to debates? What's he really going to do? Is this going to happen? Um, He keeps moving the goalposts around. And you're someone who's involved in the Atlanta Press Club. I mean, I believe you you have a leadership position with them, correct? That's correct. I'm I'm now the co-chair of the Atlanta Press Club debates. And and I've always believed that he's going to do our debates, you know? You think he is? I asked him directly. Oh, you did? I still do. Well, I asked him directly on the campaign trail, um, and at, as of this point, the campaign has not told the Atlanta Press Club they're not doing our debate. You know, they've they've said stuff in public, but in the end, you know, I work with and 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 our staff works with what they tell us. So, as of the moment you and I are taping, we've not heard directly from them that they are not doing the Atlanta Press Club debate. So what happens if he doesn't do the debate? Because you still have, obviously, the incumbent Senator Warnock, and there's a libertarian candidate. So will they share the stage if, with an empty podium if Herschel Walker does decline to attend? That's what, we have, that's what we have done since the late 90s, is it's an empty podium and the debate moves forward no matter what. And, and that's happened in the past. That happened with this election cycle as uh, Herschel Walker did not come to uh, the GOP primary debate we put on, but we also had other candidates. We had Kwanzaa Hall who didn't come to our debate. Which shocked me, by the way. (laughs) Which was like, because Kwanzaa Hall, as I I always joke, would show up to an opening of an envelope. Like, the guy shows up to everything. I see him all over town. He did not go to those debates. (laughs) I think it may have cost him uh, his his slot, right? I mean, it doesn't it doesn't help a candidate. I mean, look at the opportunities that John Ossoff had when David Perdue didn't show up for the debate. That's true. That that also happened in the last election cycle with us at the press club is is David Perdue uh, showed up for our first debate, the debate that we had for the fall, but then he didn't come for the second round debate when there was the runoff. So that's what we've always done. You know, once we put the invitations out, 
unless something weird happens where both candidates decide not to do the debate, which has happened, by the way. That actually happened in the last election cycle. You may remember the Democratic candidate running against Marjorie Taylor Greene dropped out. And we still offer to Marjorie Taylor Greene, do you still want to do a debate? You'll be all alone on the stage. And she decided to take a pass. But otherwise, Marjorie Taylor Greene has always done our debates. That's right. Let's shift a little bit to as we get closer to the midterms. What is, and we've already seen like a lot of negative campaigning from the, not necessarily Warnock's campaign, but uh, Republicans against Trump group put out uh, an anti-Warnock ad highlighting his, you know, history of abuse. An anti-Walker ad. And anti-Walker, that's what I meant. And then um, you also had the Georgia GOP put out, and I I was really particularly troubled by this, um, a George Soros-linked ad towards Senator Jordan in the uh, attorney general's race. And, you know, for me, like, look, you say Soros, that is kind of like a, a, you know, code for Uh, anti-Semitic. How nasty do you think, I mean, we're only just beginning. What are your expectations of how nasty it's going to get until November? I was on a French podcast earlier this week and and I told him we have not seen anything yet. I mean, you've look, we there's no joke. We probably are going to get into the billion dollar ad territory. Oh it my is God. going to be everywhere. It is going to be, you know, they're going to be trying to squeeze in college football between the political ads this fall. <laughs> you know, it's it's every YouTube video that my kids watch, you know. The, the every YouTube video my kids watch, there's going to probably be a political commercial yeah. running with it. Oh, you yeah. know, it's yeah. it is going to be it's going to be in our Facebook feeds. Oh my god! And and the negativity is going to it's not going to go up, you know, on a gradient. It's going to be exponential negative ads against all four of those top candidates. But what you haven't seen yet are the negative ads further down the ballot. You're going to see negative ads, uh, you know, about Brad Raffensperger and B. Wynn, about Chris Carr and Jen Jordan. You're going to see it. And it's, and, and the question becomes, and, and this was the interesting thing I was telling the French podcast, are we here in Georgia used to being Florida yet? Because we've become Florida. We are the swing state. We are the battleground state. People in Florida have been used to being just crushed by ads and crushed by mailers. I'm still trying to figure out if Georgians are used to it or are they going to turn it off at some point? At some point, just get sick of it. Uh, and, And even that next step, sick of it to the point where they just don't vote. I don't know. I think some people have gotten used to it and some people haven't. I think that you're going to have a lot of people willing to pay for YouTube premium. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about direct mail pieces and how, uh, well, they can really be the nastiest and they can be, you know, they're bad. But I feel like there's going to be a ton of those. And do you think, I'm going to ask both of you this, I feel like they can be the most impactful because it's something that's in your hand that ends up on your kitchen table for who knows how long. Well, and even if you're only carrying it from the mailbox to the recycling bin, you're reading it. 
you're seeing it and it's it's going to have graphics that grab you. And people don't get that much mail anymore. No, they don't. They well, don't. what do you think? I don't think campaigns would um, be be doing mailers if they didn't think they worked on some level. Um, and, and that's why they do them because, and especially interestingly local races, I got to say um, for the primaries, I got a lot of mail on the DeKalb Commission level and, and those levels. So that was interesting with this last, of course I got plenty for the other races, but it was interesting to see um, what races we were getting. I already am getting, you know, November election mail already. Well, so um, I don't think they, you know, I don't think they would be using it if they didn't think it worked um, on some level. And 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 one of the basic arguments I keep making about this election cycle, more than any other election cycle, you know, always in the past we've talked about it's all about the swing voters. It's all about you know educated suburban, you know. I really think this – and being out there, I really feel like, especially with the top candidates, it's all about getting the voters that they already know how they're going to vote. They are so focused on making sure that Terry Nolowitz, who they know is going to vote Democrat, and making sure – they're going to make sure they spend that extra penny – extra dollar to make sure their base voters get out because that's what it feels like out there when when you listen when you listen to speeches and and yes some of it does aim for the middle and the independent voter but it really is hey i need you the person i already know is voting for me to show up do right. you think raul you know with the hb481 and you've been out on the street talking to a lot of georgia voters and I know it's not polling. I know it's like in the top three polling, like people, it's like economy and, you know, first, obviously. But what's been your vibe with Georgia voters on that? I think it's issue number two. I think I think the key thing to understand is when it comes to abortion is how many new or extra voters could the abortion issue bring. And I think, I think, Clearly, at least from what I'm seeing, it's going to the people who support abortion rights, it's going to bring out more of those voters who may have been sitting on the sidelines, but because of this issue are going to come out. But and I'm and a very big but conservative leaning voters have also been energized by what the U.S. Supreme Court did. They have also been energized by HB 481 taking effect and the, the six-week abortion ban now being the law of the state of Georgia. It is also going to bring in voters that may have been on the sidelines who may have been unengaged for a couple election cycles to show up. So is it going to bring more voters on both sides? Yes. Um, and what is that number is definitely going to be something if, if we can pick up in the polling that's what we're going to be watching for. So one of the people that I follow on Twitter, and I believe it was Dave Wasserman, he tried to peel back those numbers. And I think the number he came up with was it had to be a minimum of 20% of Kansas Republicans who voted against that amendment. Um, so to him, that was really noteworthy. And let me tell you, People in Georgia, operatives in Georgia, noticed that. 
they noticed, and they and, and both sides were obviously, you know, uh, I talked to Stacey Abrams, I think the next day. Uh, I also talked to, um, uh, I think, Cole Musio from Frontline Policy, who's who's a leading conservative voice. He also was was spinning those results. Everybody saw those results, and and all of them had a reaction to it. Yeah, that's why I think we're going to see the ads and all the information. Right. Um, um, so, okay, Raul, how are you doing? And you, I love you name dropping these people when they see you coming, or they're like, "Hey, Raul," they're like, "Oh, Raul." Like, how does that go down? It generally is, "Hey, Raul." <laughs> so, uh, it just is. I mean, look, uh, you can ask tough questions of people and still be friendly. Johnny Isaacson is a perfect example. I had some very testy interviews when I would interview him about veterans affairs and VA hospitals, but it was always a friendly relationship, you know? Mm -hmm. So you can ask tough questions of people. You know, I was, I had to ask some tough questions of Brian Kemp about, about abortion legislation, but you can still, you can still do your job and, and and not be a jerk about it. You could ask tough questions and and still have a good relationship, whether that's with Stacey Abrams or Brian Kemp or State Representative Nolowitz, who have a, a good relationship. You know, it's it's a bit of a you love fest. You can ask those questions. <laughs> you can ask questions that that people don't like, and and you know, generally the Georgia press corps, the political press corps. You know, do we butt heads with politicians? Obviously we do. Um, but generally most of us, you know, most, most of the time is, hey, it's good to see you again. At the end of the day also, every candidate running is going to have a message that they need to disseminate. And they can't disseminate every single message only on Twitter or only, you know, right, only, right. only by mail. Like you have to have a relationship with the media. I mean, that's like the advice that I give to people who are starting. I mean, I've been in, in political life now. I've been in elected office for coming on 15 years. Wow. Yeah, I know. I know. I look so young. You do. I do. Thank you. Um, but it's, but I tell people just like, you're going to get calls from reporters, you know, especially if you're running in local office, you're going to get calls from, from your local daily. If God willing, you still have a local daily or maybe a local biweekly, but call those reporters back because you need to have that relationship. I mean, you know, there's the saying about, you know, don't get in a fight with somebody who buys ink by the barrel. And I think that still holds true. But you also, like, there is, I think it's really important to have a relation, a trusting relationship with the press. And you don't have to answer every question that's asked of you. You don't have to like every question that's asked of you. But I think that if there is a relationship and a rapport that's built on trust and honesty, I think that goes a long way. And I think that the public picks up on that and respects that also. Well, Raul, congratulations on all your success. There's nobody prouder than, I mean, Raul, you and I have come a long way from Z93. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I, 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 you know, and, and always like my favorite image I can think of, you know, if, if I want to wrap up like, uh, and I think I've sent you a picture or two. Oh, yes. Um, is 1996, for those who are here in 96, for the Olympics, Marta ran 24 hours. And so as a radio stunt, Mara rode Marta for 24 hours and was live for Marta that whole time. And so 
I was, I can't remember what shift I was on with you, but you know. <laughs> it was great. That, I don't know what it was. It was so stupid because there was nobody on Marta and it was just me. And I had one of those big giant cell phones that I had to call in. And I missed opening ceremonies because I slept through the whole thing because I had been up for 24 <laughs> hours. I, I mean, it was just, but Raul, I like, I just, it, it, it just warms my heart to see your, your continued success. And I hope that you'll come back on the podcast again as we get closer to the election. Absolutely. Love you guys. All right. Well, that was a great learning experience. Raul is like on the beat, man. It's so great. He's everywhere. He. So do you see him at the, at the state house oh, all yeah. the time? No, he's totally like the Roy Kent of Georgia politics. <laughs> They're all, all five of the radio reporters. And, and then we've got the newspaper core and they're all, but yeah, he's there. He, yeah. He's, he, you could say that Raul is like the Roy Kent of Georgia politics. He's, for sure. Yeah. He's, he works really hard and, and happier. He, he's happier than it, Roy. Well, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's so amazing to me to, to I I've just, you know, listened to his success over the years and, you know, we've come a long way from riding Marta's 24 hours in Z93. Okay, so uh, we've gotten a lot out of the the midterms are going to be crazy, especially the most riveting thing that he said was a billion, billions in oh, the B. Oh, God. B, yeah. So it, basically, guys, if you are not interested in being bombarded... With messages everywhere, go ahead and upgrade your YouTube. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't work for YouTube. I don't even, I don't have a YouTube premium account, but I might by the time November comes. So uh, we want to finish it off with a couple of funny things that happen on the internet, which, you know, that happens all the time. And I was really fascinated with this one. Uh, Kaylee McEnany's sister, Ryan, with two N's. I've never seen it spelled that way, by the way. Oh, I have. That's a strong millennial spelling. It is? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. She, um, there's a new dating app for young conservatives called The Right Stuff. And um, let, let's just, we're going to play a little bit of it to, to get give you a taste. Guys, I'm Ryan. I've got to tell you about something I am so excited to announce. A dating app for all of us conservatives. It's called The Right Stuff and it's launching this September. What I love most about it is that it's invite only. So not just anyone can join. First of all, it's free to use. And for my ladies, you'll never have to pay because we all get premium subscriptions for simply inviting a couple <laughs> friends. Gentlemen, my ladies. if you want access to premium, such that's a on you. And by the way, those are the only two options, ladies and gentlemen. The Right Stuff is all about getting into the right dating pool with people who share the same values and beliefs as you. You'll start off by building your perfect profile. No pronouns necessary. We want you to put your best foot forward, which includes oh. your favorite photos of yourself doing what you love or being with the people you love. Our prompts give you the opportunity to let people know various Some men you can you. hold a fish. So remember, be authentic and creative. We're sorry that you've had to endure years of bad dates and wasted time with people that don't see the world our way, the right way. Okay. Okay, that's okay. it. I mean, that's, okay. that's, I mean, that's the only clip I could find. I mean, by the way, I could watch that all day long. It's a bop, Mara. <laughs> it's a bop. I will say that maybe the reason some of these folks have had a hard time on other dating apps isn't necessarily the fault of the other dating apps. I mean, 
first off, she looks just like Kaylee McEnany. She's like, you know, the poor man's. She's like, the, you know, she, she's, I mean, she's pretty. She's wearing a white suit and she's, she's cute. I mean, I guess if this works for you, I mean, maybe it's like a good idea if you want to be aligned with the people that, that have your, I, I, I don't know. Farmers only. I mean, that, that's, that's right. Or their J date. That's right. Totally. It's like, it's like Q date. <laughs> Instead of J date. Q-Date. I did J-Date. <laughs> I did. I know a lot of people who met the bums of their lives <laughs> on J-Date. <gasps> it was a bad experience for me because I was on the radio at the time. Oh, God. And so I went on J-Date and then I got, like I was talking to a guy and then he was like, oh, can you give me free tickets? Oh, and I was like, blah, I got to get off this thing. Yeah. So, yeah. And then I married a Catholic guy. So Well, you know, there is an affinity between the Catholics <laughs> and the Jews as we demonstrate on this show. <laughs> yes. Uh, that was my actually my favorite thing that Anthony Michael Christ did. Uh, Christ. I always say Christ. Christ. He talked about his five top five oh my Catholic God. songs. They are, they are. <laughs> that made me laugh. I could sing them all. I could sing all of them right now. Like I went, walk, walk, he did that post and I walked around with one bread, one body in my head for at least 24 hours. Cause there's always a song in my head. And for that 24 hour period, that was the song. But now I'm going to have the, what is it? Not, it's not choose the right, the right, the, st- right, the right stuff. stuff, the right stuff. It's the right, the right stuff bop, but it's a bop. You know, I mean, so here's my question too, because she was clear that there's only ladies and only gentlemen, but is there space for the log cabin Republicans here? Uh, Could a gentleman no. seek a gentleman as long as their pronouns are both he, him? No, 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 <laughs> no. I mean, and actually I've been like reading about the log cabin Republicans. They really feel uh, alienated. I mean, it's- Gee, I wonder why. Yeah, I know. I, mean, I know. <laughs> I know. It's really, it's really, um, that was in the book I read by Tim Miller called Why We Did It, the yeah. Republic, former Republican operative who's gay and who like, you know, sort of like how the Republican Party was sort of evolving a little right. bit. I mean, they were, you know, because I mean, if you have 70% of the country who believe it, you know, who believe in human rights. Right. I mean, right. It just seems sort of weird, but uh, we're going to keep our eye on that because that just fascinates me. That may be one of my favorite things next to the David Perdue uh, book club commercial, which is my favorite one. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. I hope they do it again. Even if he's not, I'm just going to watch it anyway. Okay. And you wanted to mention your favorite Instagram account. Yes. My favorite Instagram account right now. So for context, if you were familiar with the American Girl Empire. And if you are a parent of a child with American Girl inclinations, you probably know this. So I was born in 76. So when Pleasant Company came about, like it was, I was a little bit too old for it, but I poured over those catalogs. I will own it. I love those Pleasant Company catalogs would come to the house and I would absolutely read them and look at all the tiny things and totally coveted like Julie's tiny set of little house books and all of it. And then I became a parent of a child who was into American Girl dolls. And so I've spent a lot of time and money in the American Girls universe. So it gives me great gratification now that there is the Felicity Merriman account. If you know, Felicity Merriman was, of course, one of the very first OG American Girls. Felicity Merriman. Are they worth anything today? I mean, if you have a pristine one, maybe. I haven't spent that much time on eBay looking... I'm curious because, like, are the Cabbage Patch are they worth anything? Like, I, I think American Girl. I was because I was um, 
older than you. So I wasn't into that. But like American Girl was the thing. Like I remember oh, going yeah. there with my nieces to the one in New York City. Yes. And it was like a whole thing. And then there wasn't there one at North Point Mall. There was. And it was a destination. Like I would go to the one and we'd visit my in-laws. We'd take my daughter to the one at Tyson's Corner up in D.C. Like, I mean, we own four American Girl dolls, maybe more. They're all lovingly packed away in the basement right now with all the accessories. We have a first communion dress for the American Girl dog. We have, I have Josefina's oven. So anyway, having seen all this, this account is fantastic because it's actually run by a woman, a young woman who works in... I believe she works in politics in DC, uh-huh, but it is uh-huh. it is so on the nose. It is so of the moment. It is not just political. It is culture, and it is H e l l i c i t y underscore Merriman on Instagram. And it I just want to inject it into my veins because it has been it's just delightful and smart and funny. And <laughs> I mean, I have to say, I'm looking at it right now. American Girl dolls. You, you're not gonna like me for this. They are creepy as shit. Just, I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs> just because I spent a lot of money on them. <laughs> I mean, I will give them credit though, because they definitely like made a point. Like I think now people may call it woke because they had like some, they had like every, and I, I would think, I mean, they definitely had different varieties of black girls, which was something that was a little bit more inclusive that maybe yes. you didn't see. And that was a really good thing for American Girl. But it just, I, that was, I just not like a doll person. I think certain girls were doll girls and certain girls weren't. Absolutely. You were a doll I girl. I was a doll girl. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll own it. I still, I still have, like in my basement, I have my creepy Madame Alexander baby doll. Her name is Victoria. <laughs> I thought, I've thought about sending her to a doll restorer. <laughs> a doll restorer? Yes. Is was, that a thing? She was very special to me, Mara. <laughs> So wait, is that like a specialty? Like this is a world I do not know. Doll restorer? Oh, it's totally a thing. Totally a thing. Oh my God, I'd love to interview a doll restorer. (laughs) That's fascinating. (laughs) Just because, can you imagine the people that go to a doll restorer? wait, do you know about the, okay. Do you know about like Like the the real baby dolls? Oh Oh, yes, I remember that. Okay, so you know about that. Okay, so that's, that's a thing. That's a thing. I'm not that kind of a doll. I mean, I don't like, again, I just still have the doll like that rescued Victoria from my mother's basement where she was moldering away and now she's in my basement. Yeah, I, I guess I could see that. But man, I mean, it's like, we could, <laughs> that's a, you know, I thought taxidermy was weird. Doll restorer. Doll restorer. That's, um, okay. How else can you pass your doll down to your grandchildren? Uh, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, uh, listen, if that's your jam, we'll go for it. <laughs> All right. We've learned a lot today. I mean, we've learned about like election forecasting and doll restores. Doll restores. And, and uh, right wing dating. And Q-date. <laughs> It's, it's the right stuff. The right That's what stuff. it's called. Uh, thanks so much, Christina Loringer, for always producing and doing such a great job. Uh, send us your feedback. We're at Podcast Vote on Twitter. If you go ahead and, you know, if you've listened this far, go ahead and give a, a like and a rating on Apple Podcasts because it really helps other people find the podcast. And finally, uh, make sure you uh, give some money to Senator Jen Jordan because we, right. we really need her to win Attorney General. Terry, we'll see you next time. We're every other week now. Every other week. We're making it work. So thanks for listening.